After an accident, minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. You need help, and you need it now. This is David vs. Goliath, brought to you by Dolman Law Group Accident Injury Lawyers, a boutique firm with a reputation for going head-to-head -head with the insurance company giants and putting people over profits. Hey, my name's Stan Geip, and we're here with another episode of the David vs. Goliath podcast. We're fortunate today to have a special guest on the program, Ed Siramboli, who is an attorney now that specializes in products liability cases as they relate to children's products. And with Christmas rolling up, people buying presents and stuff like that, it's a very timely topic to discuss. So, Ed, thanks for coming on. No problem at all. Yeah, it's uh, handling cases involving um, you know, products that have injured kids are one aspect of uh, you know our practice and something that uh, we um, take very seriously because obviously I have kids and now I actually am a proud grandparent, believe it or not. I have two small grandchildren, so it's definitely something that um, has developed into a bit of a niche for us over the past couple of years, and we certainly uh, take it very seriously helping those families where children have been hurt. Well, as a practicing attorney and someone who interviews a lot of attorneys on podcasts, I notice when we talk about practice areas, they generally happen one of two ways. Okay, people either say, you know, I really want to get into this and they begin learning it and pursuing those cases, or they're already in practice doing something else. And a really good case that looks like it involves this area of law approaches them and they go, you know what, I need to learn how to do this and become an expert so I can handle this case. Did you get involved in one of those two ways? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. I had done a number of products cases over the years. I do a lot of trucking work. And as a part of that, we would have a tire case that might be a product case or an engine case or something along those lines. And then I handled some other products cases over the years. And then one day I was actually meeting with a family, believe it or not, on a very catastrophic tractor trailer case. And we're talking and they're like, you know, we've just had so much tragedy in our family over the last year, year and a half. And I said, oh my gosh, what has happened? So they started telling me this story about their son and daughter, whose two-year-old had died in a playpen. Obviously, uh, I was just taken back and I said, well, tell me a little bit more about what happened. So they started telling me more about it. I mean, it was just absolutely devastating what happened to this little baby its windpipe had been crushed on the top of a playpen. And then to add insult to this catastrophe, because it was such a weird set of facts, the state police had actually investigated the mom and dad for abuse and then had to clear them. So it was really just this, the poor family had just really gone through a horrible, horrible circumstance. So once I heard the story and I didn't expect that the answer would be yes, I said, oh my gosh, do you still have the playpen? They're like, yeah, we still have it. So that kind of started us down the road of this journey into cases involving products that have hurt kids. And that case really was the catalyst because we kind of got to see how products, especially children's products, all the testing that's supposed to go into them to make them safe. And then the exact opposite in this particular case, how there wasn't any testing, how it was sold from a Chinese manufacturer through Amazon and then ultimately made its way to to these parents and who are you know still to this day obviously just devastated by what happened so that's how we kind of fell into this little niche area which was um again unintended for sure 
but I'm happy that it's happened that way because it's been very rewarding helping these parents achieve some closure. And then also parents that have had children that have been hurt. I would say overwhelmingly in, in our experience, not only do they want to see justice for themselves and their family, but they start to really act as advocates for other families as well. And we've seen that through working in these, this area and working in these cases. These parents, grandparents, brothers, sisters, I mean, they truly become voices for everybody that has been kids that have been hurt, families that have been hurt by defective products for kids. And I'm going to ask kind of what may seem like a simple question to people, you know, working in this field, but may not be to people listening to the podcast. Kids are kids. Okay. They're going to get hurt on products, whether they're defective or not. They just sometimes kids do dumb things with products. Sometimes no matter how careful you are, you're going to get hurt. You're going to trip. You're going to fall off of things. What is it that causes or gives rise to a product's liability case? What is it children's parents should be looking for when they see those injuries? You know, Stan, it's a really good point. And what I will tell you, what I've learned in starting to do this work is the products are designed with that idea in mind. Look, we know kids are going to jump and fall and they're not as coordinated as an adult. So the research and design takes those things into consideration. And so one of the things that parents should really look for whenever they're buying a playpen or a crib or any type of toy, look for the safety certifications and look for that these products have gone through very rigorous testing by a number of, there's a whole slew of agencies out there that does it, but look for those and make sure that those certifications are actually real certifications. You can look them up online through these various agencies and they'll tell you exactly what products have gone through what testing and that they've certified because in this particular playpen case it was a fraudulent safety certification that was on the amazon website so these parents felt comfortable purchasing this product even though they didn't know where it was coming from because of this safety certification which ended up not being accurate or truthful and so once they got it it had just been designed completely defective. But a couple of things that parents always should make sure that a product doesn't have, hard edges. When you have hard edges, if a child falls into a hard edge, it's certainly going to do a lot more damage than an edge that is padded well. If you have bars and they're steel or aluminum bars, make sure that those are padded as well. Make sure any of the rivets or the screws are covered over. Because these are all things that can, even if the kids are doing everything they're supposed to be doing and they happen to fall or or slip, these are all the aspects of various children's toys that can really, really, really hurt kids if they're not designed properly. So along those lines, one thing I'd like people, if nothing else, take from this podcast, if your kid's been injured with some kind of product, I don't care what kind of product it is. If he's got a serious injury result with an encounter with the product, hang on to it. Okay, don't get mad at it. Don't smash it. Don't throw it away. Don't say he's never going to use this damn thing again and throw it down the road because it's dangerous. Hang on to it. Even if you don't yeah. understand what may be wrong with the product at this point, because look, if your kid's bleeding out, the last thing you're worried about is how it happened. What's wrong with the product? You're so concerned about the safety and the health of your child, everything else goes out the window. 
And it's going to yeah. be a few days before your thoughts calm down, depending on how serious that injury is. And you don't want to be in a situation where you go, you know what? Was something wrong with that product? Was there something wrong with yeah. that that caused it? And now it's gone. The garbage man has come. It's gone to the dump. We know it was a toy car. We don't know who made it. We don't know where it came from. I can tell you it's a blue toy car that kind of went like this. You're out of luck. Oh, totally out of luck. I fully anticipated in this particular playpen case, basically what had happened was it was during COVID. Mom was working from home. Kid was a real active kid and climbing in and out of the playpen. And so mom just like goes on Amazon and types in like sturdy playpen. Next thing you know, she looked at the safety certification, looked a couple other things. Next thing you know, she gets this playpen. They put it up and it's right in the area where the mom's working. So mom got up to go into the kitchen, make the kids lunch. It was the two-year-old and then the nine-year-old that were in the room. And there was all kinds of toys that were in the playpen, a toy box. And the child got on top of the toy box. And what happened was the toy box slid out. Either the child ended up kicking it out or it slid out. And when the baby fell, its windpipe hit the top of the playpen, which was not padded. It was a steel bar and children's windpipe at that age are not fully developed. And so it crushed the baby's windpipe and the baby asphyxiated and died right in front of the mom and nine-year-old sister. So, I mean, it was just a, as horrible, horrible circumstances as you could possibly imagine. And so we fully anticipated that the playpen would be gone. We would never be able to look at it, never be able to test it, but it wasn't. And so many other cases where we've been called, that's the first question we ask. I'm like, is it still there? Do you still have it? And unfortunately, when they say no, like as tragic as it is, unless you have a video of it or some other photographs or something that we can do to piece it together, unfortunately, you know, you're right, Stan. It's it's now a compounded tragedy because you, know, you can't do anything about it to, to help those families achieve justice. So I want to circle around to something you said about safety certifications. Okay, you mentioned, yeah. I remember growing up and I used to see like UL listed and had no idea what the heck that meant, but I used to see it on yeah. almost every little cooking product and everything I bought my mom for Christmas. I just, you know, those crazy kitchen gadgets and stuff you would buy your, yeah. they used to be listed on everything. And I know it comes with underwriters laboratories. Just briefly, what is a safety certification? Yeah, so in like children's furniture, children's toys, playpens, things like that, there's a number of different organizations that do testing on products. So basically what happens is the manufacturer will take their product and they will voluntarily give it to one of these various organizations. The organization will then look at it and they'll say, okay, take a playpen, for example. When you design a playpen, this is the criteria that you must take into consideration. These are the things that must be present. Does this product kind of check all those boxes? Does this product meet that criteria? Test all kinds of things about it. And then if it does, that organization will then give it a uh, safety certification that then they can attach as you said, you know, remember like the UL, the old mm -hmm. UL stuff, you can put it on the product. Depending upon the type of product it is, there's different organizations that you know, specialize in children's toys, different organizations that specialize in children's furniture, different safety organizations if there's um, like playground equipment, things of that nature. So there's all a number of but different organizations. But the important part is that 
it's gone through some type of rigorous testing so that whenever you're purchasing it, you can trust that this product is safe for its intended use. Now, obviously, if a child is doing something that nobody's ever tested something before, then those are all the always the kind of anomalies where you say, like, well, you can't design for every particular circumstance. That's true. But you can design for safety for the circumstances that are normal and customary and that kids are you know doing. You're right. Like you see those stamps, but what we've seen is that especially on these online sales platforms, there's no paper, right? And so it's very easy to Photoshop something. It's very easy to put something on, you know, like an Amazon, like in this particular case that we have, there was a fraudulent safety certification and the parents had no idea this was even a possibility. And so they looked and they said, okay, yeah, it's got a safety certification. But at the end of the day, when you look at that safety certification and then you go to the particular organization and look it up, it doesn't exist. You know, it was it obviously uh, fraudulent and, and very problematic. And it, it's very prevalent in that industry right now. Kind of lead me to my next question is, are there any standards for certifying agencies? I mean, am I able to say, hey, certified by Stan and I charge people $100 to send in their product and I say, look safe to me? Yeah, so most of these organizations are kind of quasi-government organizations that have received some type of blessing from the government that they're able to certify these particular products of this nature. It's not just a send in your check and we'll give you a certification. There's an actual process that they do have to go to. Now, the problem is it's not always mandatory, which is amazing. As we were getting into these cases and doing more research, I was shocked that not every product that a kid or a child is going to be using or parents are going to be using for children, not every single solitary one has to go through some type of safety certification process. So parents really have to be diligent in looking at these things and saying, all right, yeah, is it safe? How did it get this safety certification? What was the organization that certified it? Making sure that it is one of the reputable or more reputable organizations that's out there. And then that manufacturer is a manufacturer that they know or they can find out and get information about. And it's not just some uh, manufacturing plant in China or some other, or Singapore or someplace else that you don't know anything about. And you don't know what their standards are. You don't know what they're doing. And so that's, we obviously, we import a lot of children's toys, furniture, you name it, clothing, bottles, whatever it may be. And we import a lot from China and some of them are perfectly fine and some of them are not. So you really got to be careful. So you kind of, I've got a few different questions to follow up on that, but sure, used to be like when I grew up and, and kind of date myself now, Kmart and Walmart were the big retailers, right? And, and you assumed that Kmart and Walmart were liable if something they sold was unsafe. Sure. So there was just some basic underlying assumption that if it made it to the shelf, someone had already looked at it and determined and made some sort of determination that it was safe. I mean, was that? Yeah. And that's a very good point. Before the rise of the online retailers, you would have a product on a shelf. Again, that would go through a process. If I was Walmart or Kmart or Best Buy and I was buying a product, I'm buying it from a distributor. And that distributor is telling me that this particular product 
has gone through XYZ testing and is now safe to put on my shelf. Because remember, in the product liability world, the seller of the product could ultimately be liable for a defective product. So these online re- or the big box, the traditional brick and mortar retailers certainly wanted to make sure that the products that they were selling were safe and they were doing their due diligence. Well, now there isn't a Best Buy anymore. I mean, they're gone. There's no Kmart anymore. There's still Walmart, but now even Walmart, big portion of their sales is online, direct competitors of Amazon and some of the other online marketplaces. So now you don't have that. You have these manufacturers that some of them are selling directly through a third-party platform such as an Amazon. So you don't have that level of scrutiny on these particular products. You just have a product that it's made its way onto this platform. You don't know how it's made its way onto that platform. You don't know what the vetting process was. You don't know who vetted it, if anybody. So let me ask you, so now I'd say your competitor to Walmart is Amazon. Yeah. Does Amazon bear that same sort of responsibility as it relates to Amazon products? So I'll give this particular, you know, this playpen case, it's an example because it's ongoing right now. So we sued Amazon and what we sued Amazon was under a theory that Amazon is essentially the de facto manufacturer, right? Because the product is coming from China. It's sold on an Amazon platform. Everything about it tracks back to Amazon. Like there's not a website when it says go to the website, you click on it, it goes back to an Amazon page. If you want to have um, directions or videos on how to put it together, that tracks back to an Amazon page as well. So essentially our theory in the case was like, look, if Amazon is making a profit on selling this and they're representing it, that it's essentially an Amazon product, then at the end of the day, Amazon should be responsible if it's defective and it hurts somebody. And so, so far we're moving forward with litigation. And I think under the law, that we're right. I mean, ultimately, we may have to go try the case and a jury may have to you know, tell us whether we are or not. But in theory, and when you look at the product liability law, Amazon could be liable either as a seller, reseller, or a quote-unquote manufacturer, distributor, because they're doing all of that in some capacity for a particular product, for sure. And I've always kind of looked at it in a more naive standpoint of in order for the Chinese manufacturer to get the product in the hand of the American consumer, there is a necessary third party in the middle. Yep. Used to be Walmart who would buy them by the thousands and bring them over in a crate and then look at them. Yep. Now it's shifted to Amazon. But without that, that third party intermediary who is inevitably making a profit, the transaction does not occur. All right, no question. How does this change if we go away from Amazon and we start looking at like our Alibabas and some of these foreign-based tra- commerce websites? Stan, it's a great question. It really is because the Alibabas of the world, I mean, they're even though you can access, go on that, where do you sue them, right? Amazon is at least an American company. So we know that they're an American company. They're based in Washington. They're incorporated in Delaware. So, I mean, you have a basis to sue Amazon. Alibaba is not. So not only do you have a product liability fight, but now you have a jurisdictional fight. Can you get jurisdiction over them in the United States? 
you're going on to a foreign website and you're purchasing a product through, you know, it's a third party through a foreign website outside the United States. Very, it's going to be very difficult. And it's really a, I mean, it's an area of the law, I think, that is evolving. You know, at this point, I don't know anybody that has any products liability cases right now in the United States against Alibaba. I know my case, and then there's a number of other cases across the country, we are suing Amazon for products cases. It's going to be a big fight for sure. The reason I ask is I've always wondered, you know, online retailers are not all the same. There is some benefit from using an American-based retailer in that if something goes wrong, you're in America too. You can sue yeah. them. You can do these things. I I was recently, I've got a son, okay, and he's 15 or 14 going on 15 and likes being pulled behind the boat in tubes. And I don't know if you mm-hmm. see if they've got one that could fly. Like it was a big yeah. wide one that if you, okay, they were banned in the U.S. because they're yeah. not safe. Okay. In order to get one, which I looked at getting, it spent about 1200 bucks and I could go through Alibaba and get this product, which was banned in the U S but I could get it shipped to the U S or some near replica and be just as unsafe as the government was trying to prevent me from being. Sure. You know, I'm going, well, heck if it's already banned in the U S there's no way in heck that you're ever going to get your hands on these people to sue if something goes wrong. You're a hundred percent right. And that's why in again, going back to the playpen case, we didn't even sue the Chinese manufacturer because we're never, I mean, we should, we've been down that road before with tired. You're never going to get to them. Even though there's foreign jurisdictions selling them here, everything else, it's not like the auto manufacturers, the Subarus of the world or Nissans of the world, any of those where they're, they have dedicated, established American outposts. These are entities that they don't have anything. There's no brick and mortar in the United States. You can't go to an Alibaba store and buy that product, it's coming from, I don't even know where it's coming from, but it's coming from either Asia or the Far East, somewhere that if it hurts somebody, you're likely to not have any recourse. Well, and then, you know, some of the manufacturers behind these third-party websites that will sell stuff have absolutely no concern for safety of a product. It is a pure price and profit play Look, if they find 20 gallons of free lead paint, they're going to paint some children's toys with them and sell them. Yes, they are. Yeah, because the paint is free, right? And they're going to save five cents per product and make that much more. Yeah. So it does, as a consumer, if you're out here Christmas shopping for your kid and you want to have some level of confidence, you really need to stay towards some of the retailers. You know, the Amazons, the Walmarts, these kind of things if you want to at least have any recourse against the seller, correct? Absolutely. And even beyond just the recourse, just making sure, especially, you know, if you're going to go and buy something on Amazon and it is for a child and there it could be dangerous, like really do some research, look at those safety certifications and then cross-reference them because there's so much fraud out there in this particular area with products. It's unbelievable. Honestly, I was truly shocked at the amount of um, fraudulent safety certifications that uh, that are out there. But our expert told us, uh, she said that it happens every single solitary day, every single day. There's companies that are not reputable and they're willing to cut corners and put kids' lives at risk. All right. I don't know if you remember this. This was a story probably 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. But I remember 
used to be lighters they sold that were marketed as childproof lighters. And I, you would get them for fireworks. Like, God, there's no way these could keep anyone from lighting them, right? You're right, like, right, right. Where's the childproof feature on this? And turns out one of the ladies that ran a lab certifying these types of lighters were just fraudulently certifying them and falsifying the tests. Yeah. So it's been something that's been going on for a while, people trying to get around standards and people trying to cut corners. You're never going to avoid that. When someone wants to go verify, this is what you're talking about, the certification or the safety certification, give me an example. If someone is to buy, let's say, a playpen, just sure. what types of organizations might be certifying that? Yeah. So let me see if I could find the, while we're on here, let me see if I could actually find, while we're, uh, let's see if I could pull it up and then actually give a website. So the there's one called the Juvenile, that's the one, Juvenile Products Manufacturers Association. And so that's one that will do a lot of testing and certification. That's just one of them. But take it, the U.S. Consumer Product and Safety Commission is another one. So if you see that there's something along those lines, like that it's they're advertising that it's been certified by one of these particular organizations, you can go to the organization, you can pull it up and you can verify it. Whatever organization it is, go to their website because they'll have a list of all the products or they should have a list of all the products that they've certified. Now, let's kind of go to the other extreme. If it's an organization that you've never heard of and they don't even have a website, that's probably going to alert you that this is not legitimate. And make sure that you kind of, you know, steer away from it. But those are two. There's certainly more. And again, it really is specific to the particular type of product, whether it's, you know, clothing or furniture, or toys or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. As a parent, I think the level of care you're required to show obviously changes based on the age of your child. As a parent of a 14-year-old kid, now I'm not worried about a small part breaking off and him choking. Right. As a parent of a three-year-old, you need to be very concerned about that. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is it's almost a two-step process. If you're shopping for children for stuff, one, you need to make sure there's some sort of safety seal or certification related to this product if you're planning on putting it in your child's hands to play with, to stay in, to sleep in, to jump in, or any of that, correct? Yes, and I would add this. If you come across something and you got six play pens, and the sixth one is 50% less than the other five, you get what you pay for. And there's a reason that that one might be so inexpensive. And it may be because there isn't a safety certification. There isn't a reputable manufacturer. It's not made with materials that are safe and intended for children. So we all want to get a good deal. We all want to save some money. But when you find something that is you know, from the price points that's just so far out of line with some of the other products, you really got to take pause and consider where it's coming from and what is the safety aspect of that particular product. And bottom line is safety costs money, okay? If you want to make something safe, you got to put some money into it, okay? Cars would be cheaper if you didn't have to put the seatbelt in there. They'd be cheaper without the airbags. They'd be cheaper without all these things. So if you're getting that cheaper car overseas, it's not sold in America, it's probably because it doesn't have airbags and seatbelts. And there's a reason why it's cheaper. Always. Yeah. So it's not because this one person is paying the same as everyone else and they just don't want to make money. 
it's because they're cutting the corners. That, no question. And, you know, it's one thing, you know, when you got an adult and you're buying something for yourself and maybe it's a decorative thing you don't care about, when you're putting it in your child's hands, if you do something that could have been prevented and your child gets hurt and you look back on it, you're going to blame yourself forever. No question. And handling these cases, I mean, the guilt that these parents carry around is profound. Doesn't go away ever. There's not a single day that it ever goes away and their lives are shattered forever. It's really sad. All right, Ed. Well, I, I really appreciate you being out here today. I want to, two things. I want to, is there anything you want to add, you know, before we let you go? And then I want to make sure we need your name, your firm name, phone numbers, how we can get hold of you. If anyone listens, I really want to speak to Ed. I've got a situation I want to talk sure, to him about. Sure. You know, as we kind of come into the holidays, I would just tell people to be extra vigilant, especially when they're out there shopping or shopping online, because everybody, you know, listen, we all, we all get busy and there's going to be those time periods like, oh my God, I forgot to get a gift for whomever it is, or I'm, I'm in a rush. Just take time to make sure that the things we talked about today, their safety certifications, their legitimate organizations. And if you're purchasing something, it's from a reputable dealer. Those are really important things to do. So my name is Ed Siramboli. My firm is uh, Fellerman and Siramboli. We have offices all throughout Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Kingston, Scranton, Berwick, Honesdale. We share some space with uh, Pittsburgh as well. Phone number is, uh, I always give people my cell phone number because I'm on the road a lot and it's the best way to get a hold of me. And it's uh, 570-510-9941. 570-510-9941. My email address is uh, ejc at fclawpc.com. Feel free to call, text, any questions. Happy to answer them and uh, help out in any way we can. So thank you, Stan. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. It's been informative. Thank you. This episode of David versus Goliath is over, but your journey is just getting started. To share your story with us, visit dolmanlaw.com. That's D-O-L-M-A-N-Law.com. Or call 866-965-6242. The insights and views presented in David vs. Goliath are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney. Nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. Any case result information provided on any portion of this podcast should not be understood as a promise of any particular result in a future case. Dolman Law Group. Big firm results. Small firm personal attention.